1: Cheers. Cheers! ladies and gentlemen. Cheers! Cheers! I've been down to his original house and the original room of which this piece was initially performed in. It's kind of been a really cool experience to have that kind of musical connection and historic connection. And every time we go down there as well, we're always treated by the local community. It sort of all ties into this historic Czech community that Dvorak really loved when he was there. Cheers! Clink! Clink! <laughs> with all <of> the enthusiasm.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Pour Me a Mozart. My name is Asia and I'm here again with my friend Patty and we are drinking to Brown Derby's and Dvorak's American String Quartet, number 12 in F minor? Major. Major. Whoops. <laughs> How are you?
1: I'm alright. You know, it's weird sitting on your couch for a most of the days I mean yeah (laughs) months at this point Mm -hmm. Um, but you know I'm finding little ways of sort of staying sane throughout this whole quarantine period and I think the weirdest part is that you just don't really know how long it's going to last so it's like how do you pace yourself hey (laughs) sushi how do you pace yourself during this time yeah Yeah. how about you
0: I'm good Um, I'm glad that I can still keep working with my online teaching it's different, but um, yeah, it kind of goes in waves for me. Like I'm really excited that I get to see my students online. And then there are other days that I'm like, I just really wish we could have this lesson in person. Yeah. Or like, you know, some days I wish like I didn't have a job right now, like (laughs) some people. (laughs) And again, I am grateful that I'm able to work and earn an income, but a break would just be so nice.
1: Yeah. Well, I I mean, I am, I'm glad that you are still able to have your students like I mean I have a couple individual students but mine are mainly chamber music so it's like how do you get people to rehearse and coach together it's basically impossible
0: yeah I was thinking about that because you do do a lot of coaching yeah and it's like you can get together and like talk I suppose (laughs) but yeah I guess yeah the musical element is just gone so on an up note from there (laughs) I've been really enjoying watching what you post on Instagram because you're cooking like the most delicious looking things.
1: Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to... These, the, these are the foods that I... It's like if I have a bunch of time on my hands, I will devote and craft this food. And it's like... So so obviously I'm going through sort of the lists of, of things that I like to make. Um, the latest thing was for Cinco de Mayo and it was uh, tamales. Which turned out really well. I was very. They looked self-paced. so good. Yeah, they they were gone of today, so they lasted <laughs> two days. <laughs> nice. Before that, I guess I made some dumplings as well, and I for the first time did it did the dough from scratch. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, which actually is not that difficult. I didn't. I thought it was going to be more involved, but it's tedious. But you know, uh, so mm-hmm. that was that was really rewarding as well. I mean, um, and. I also made what is called Rice, so to spell it out in pinging or, you know, in more um, Roman characters, Z-O-N-G I Z-I. oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> I got lost, I got lost.
0: <laughs> no, I totally I like, feel it. how that. many z's
1: are there in the, <laughs> so uh, it's rice but Jones-a-rice. it's spelled z-o-n-g-dash-z-i, and basically it's a it's actually more it's a traditional Chinese steamed it's you can see it in dim sum restaurants um, it's in bamboo leaves with a with sticky rice and a bunch of very some traditional ingredients inside and it's usually in celebration of what's called the boat the boat ceremony or something along those lines it's usually around spring when it happens I think mm-hmm. um but yeah so it's it's something that is I still have some in the freezer because I just made way too many <laughs> but I think those are kind of the main. And then I had, you know, every now and then like some baked good or something. But yeah, it's looking, it's all looking so tasty. I do enjoy cooking. So
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm I'm glad to have a little bit of extra time to be making all the meals. And, and you've been really
1: great about freezing your vegetables since quarantine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'll get
0: them fresh and then I'll chop them and then put them in the freezer. I don't remember if I said anything about this on Instagram, but I usually will like chop A whole thing of broccoli and then put that in the freezer or roast it but then you know it's never as good the next day sure so i portioned out chickpeas and red pepper and broccoli for like one meal that i can add to a grain and then i froze that in a container so i can just pull that out and roast it and it's working pretty well good you're doing all this cooking, but when quarantine is over, what is the first restaurant you would like to go to?
1: So there's so many restaurants, but I actually have kind of missed the vibe of uh, Sociable Cider Works.
0: Yeah, that's a good place.
1: Yeah, there's, and I really like their ciders. Uh, So that would be maybe the first place I would want to revisit.
0: Remember when we tried to go there for bingo and they weren't doing bingo that night?
1: Yes, I do. And I feel really bad about it.
0: (laughs) It, Well, it was a really good time, but also I would love to go back and play bingo.
1: Yeah. Or, and trivia nights. I do miss trivia nights too. Oh,
0: yeah. Trivia nights are so fun. There's a few virtual trivia nights coming up. I should invite you on Facebook.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The other thing about quarantine is I'm sure our cats are really enjoying having us here i know mine are can we get a sushi update
1: yeah she's doing well she's she's cleaning herself right hi um you know it's been it's kind of been fun to watch because you know oftentimes i would be you know in the morning i'd be gone for rehearsal come back drop off my cello then go to the gym and then go to love, you know Minnesota Orchestra Library and work there and then come home and then be at home. Or I'd go out with friends or something. So I'd be kind of in and out, in and out all day. Mm-hmm. And so since quarantine, I think for quite a while she was a little bit confused about me being there all the time. And yeah. actually was quite antisocial with me for maybe about two weeks where, you know, I'd be sitting on my couch playing video games or something like that. And she'll be, si- she'll like purposely sit on my bed in my bedroom and I'll go over drag her out to be social with me and then just immediately walk back to the bedroom but now she's doing she's I think she's okay with me coexisting on a more <laughs> regular basis yeah uh, but there's because there's I mean to offset that she also has been very uh cuddly especially in the morning if I sit on the couch she will just immediately come over and sit in my lap which wasn't always happening before. So it's kind of this balancing act with her.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of noticing the same thing with my cats. It's like, you know, I live by myself, so I should be like really lonely, but I have this cycle of cats. It's like as soon as one is done cuddling with me, the next one is just right there. And I've a few times kind of felt like I love my cats, but sometimes I just need some space. Like the other day I was trying to take a nap and I had, um, I was on my couch and one cat was cuddling like, into my shoulder. And then Cindy Lou loves to burrow. So she actually went under the blanket and like, you know, where your knees make that little corner. Yeah. She was in there, but she didn't like how I was sleeping, even though I was there first. So she kept like kicking me with her back legs.
1: Really? <laughs> yeah. So you it obviously woke you up and then
0: you actually- Yeah. It was like, as soon as I was falling asleep, I'd get kicked. I yeah. was like, this is the worst nap with cats I've ever had. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Most naps are better than that. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I used to not do at all is take naps. Oh. And now I'm finding I've kind of gotten over that, but after a day of teaching, I would just like sit on the couch and be like, I can finally play my Switch, and then I couldn't keep my eyes open. Like I just couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just like Yeah, so I
0: just pass out. <laughs> I just saw you take a sip. So why don't we talk about the drink that we're having?
1: Sounds good. Um, what are we having, Asia?
0: <laughs> we are drinking a brown derby. And actually, I'm noticing that yours looks like a brighter color than mine. So I'm wondering. Oh, really? uh, Did you use
1: freshly squeezed grapefruit juice in yours? No, I had simply grapefruit or something like that. Oh, me too. Really? (laughs) Yeah, we used the same juice. Well, but the thing is, I didn't use honey simple, honey syrup.
0: Oh, you just put honey
1: in? I just heated up honey because I was running short on time and so I just which is so weird now that we have quarantine going on There's like zero excuse to be late because you just are at home and you just turn on the computer or your phone or whatever Yeah, And I've been really good up until today for some reason. I'm just like It's like maybe my old habits are starting to creep in which is starting to make me feel more like maybe I'm adjusting to to this situation or something so I was so that's why I didn't make honey. My plan was to make honey simple syrup, and I didn't do it. But. I actually forgot to until
0: you texted me, and you're like, "I'm running behind." I was like, "Me too." <laughs> so I, I made the syrup really quickly. But yeah, today was the first day that I was late for a lesson. I yeah, felt I really mostly, bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was practicing, and I was like, "Oh, cool! I'll get an hour in, and then have six minutes before the lesson starts." and apparently I need more decompressing time after practicing because I went to sit on my couch and then I started answering emails and then I was like, should I get a snack? And then I was like, oh, I was supposed to be like logged in and starting this lesson. I was only four minutes late, but when uh-huh. you're online, that's like an eternity.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah.
0: crazy. I felt so bad, but my student was, she's a sweet baby angel. So she was just like, oh, it's fine. And then yeah. we got down to business and had a good lesson yeah
1: yeah so maybe that's why my drink is a little bit darker is because i just i didn't i I can't can you explain how to do honey simple syrup again
0: oh yeah but first the the ingredients for the drink are two ounces of bourbon one ounce freshly squeezed grapefruit juice which neither patty nor i did and then this recipe says half ounce of honey and then a lemon wedge for garnishing so the ingredient or the recipe that i used when i worked behind the bar actually used a honey simple syrup which is just like making a regular simple syrup where you take like a half cup of sugar and then a half cup of water and you boil them together until they're mixed in and then you can also make a light syrup where you do like a quarter cup to a half cup or you can do a heavy syrup which would be three quarters to a half no it'd be one cup to a half oh really oh
1: okay
0: so you can kind of play with the ratios i like my syrups a little less sweet so i usually add twice as much water, syrup.
1: Well, with how you say, so with the honey, it just replaces the sugar completely. Yes. Okay. That was where I wasn't sure if there was an added proportion that you had to do with.
0: Oh, gotcha. Yeah. It's just honey and water. Um, You can also make an agave syrup in the same way. And I know some bars do that for their tequila drinks because tequila is an agave liquor. I've never been fancy enough to buy (laughs) agave So agave nectar. Yeah. Some places will also do a brown sugar, simple syrup.
1: Oh yeah. That makes, okay. Um, the molasses in there.
0: Yeah. Um, there's a brand called Demerara, I think it is. So like, if it says Demerara in your drink, that's like a really fancy brown sugar.
1: Got it.
0: But yeah, so this is honey bourbon and grapefruit
1: juice. So sorry, but so because I use straight honey, I have a higher sugar content in my drink than you do is that correct because you actually oh yeah your honey yeah okay yeah
0: and oh we were talking about this earlier too the reason that you might want to make a syrup or the reason that patty heated up her honey is because it just mixes better that way but if you make a syrup you can actually mix it in cold um, I didn't because I made my syrup like 30 seconds before I made the drink. <laughs> so as I was shaking it, I could feel everything cooling down.
1: I had to be pretty careful about like the order of which I put in all the ingredients. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if I had this really hot honey and I have bourbon that I don't want to go watery on me and then, so I had to do grapefruit juice, bourbon, and then the honey and then shook it and then, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. My
1: that was to get like little clumps of honey floating around, you mm-hmm. know?
0: Yeah, so that brings up um, a bartending technique where, um, well, what kind of shaker do you have? Do you have a martini shaker? The one with the weird cap that twists off. (laughs) So while Patty's getting that, there's a martini shaker, which is the one that you see where you twist off a very small cap. Yeah, that's a martini shaker. Okay, Um, I like
1: martinis
0: too. And there's a filter in the top. The other one is a Boston shaker where you see that big tin and then you put a pint glass on top of it. Um, And then you shake those together and then you have to use what's called a Hawthorne strainer to go over the top. So I have a Boston shaker because that's what we used behind the bar. They're easier to clean. They're faster than a martini shaker. But what you do is you don't add ice until you have all of the liquor like all of the ingredients set to go. So, like in the Boston shaker, I have two pretty big components. So I put ice in the tin, and then I pour all of my liquor and juices and all that into the glass. And then when that's all ready to go, then I'll add it. So, so
1: did I do mine more with the limited shaker that I had? Did I do mine the best that I could have in the given the situation? Or um, could, should I have improved? Should I have not added? Should I just shook it in the shaker and then added ice in the... How should I have done it?
0: Oh, well, you did it right. And it also, like, behind the bar, this is more important because you can get distracted really easily. And if you have things just sitting in ice, then they're really getting diluted. I think, like, the amount of time you took to make your drink it doesn't really matter.
1: Okay. Does the shake time on this drink matter?
0: So shaking takes around 15 seconds to dilute the drink. Um, stirring takes 30 seconds or sometimes longer because it's a less aggressive way to dilute things Mm -hmm. and then shaking versus stirring typically with brown liquors you would stir but not and not shake people say that shaking things like bourbon bruises it Mm. because it's so aggressive so it breaks down the flavor but on the flip side if you have a drink with citrus juice in it like grapefruit juice or like lime for a margarita or lemon for things that lemon goes in. I can't remember off the top of my head. Tom Collins, I guess. You you want to shake anything with citrus. So this is kind of a weird like, what do you do with it? Um, I see. And I prefer to shake it just because it's a little faster. And I, I think you really need to with the citrus. I think that becomes more important than bruising or avoiding bruising the bourbon. Yeah. But just... Typically for a bourbon beverage, you would
1: not shake it. I did not know that, but I guess that makes sense, yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you, uh, Asian. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, that's the Brown Derby. The recipe said a garnish with a lemon wedge at the bar I worked at, we we call it an orange rip. So you use like the zest of an orange, you peel off the outside, and then um, take the outside part of the orange and spritz it towards the glass, and that gives it just like, oh, it was so good that way. I put some orange bitters in mine because I don't have actual oranges. I was like, maybe this will help. <laughs> I don't know. I Maybe I don't have a refined enough palate, but I actually can't really tell when there's bitters in a drink. Oh. It makes like literally no difference to me.
1: Doesn't it depend on just the amount of bitters that they put?
0: Well, Cause... I suppose, but you're only supposed to yeah. do like two or three dashes because like, yeah. yeah. they're really strong. Or maybe I need to try like a drink with bitters and then a drink without bitters.
1: Per- I mean... You got time?
0: <laughs> Mayhaps.
1: <laughs> you could do it today.
0: I could do it today. Actually, I'm also using a Pamplemousse Lacroix to dilute my drink, so I don't drink it too fast.
1: <laughs> ah, okay, okay,
0: okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll see. I'll I'll probably need a refill. Um, but this drink. So, it was a, invented in the Vendome Bar in Hollywood in 1930. And though it was named for the iconic 20th century Los Angeles restaurant, um, I read that wrong. <laughs> anyway, it was invented in Hollywood in 1930. Um, if you're into brunch cocktails, I've never thought of this as a brunch cocktail. It's it's perfect, I guess. Tart enough to wake up the palate, but not tangy enough to jolt you. The bourbon naturally softens the edges of even a harsh start to the day.
1: Yeah, that's the Yeah, brand, I think I derby. would still prefer a mimosa in the morning, but...
0: Oh, nothing beats a mimosa. When we were talking about this drink, you went out to get bourbon. I did. What kind of bourbon did you get?
1: I ideally wanted to go to a local distil- distillery and do like a pickup order, because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to support local distilleries. But when I was looking up you know, their, their hours, they were all closed and just not oh. not a evi- Yeah, I know. It's it's a bummer. So I actually ended I went to my local liquor store and I got a St. Paul
0: whoa! Uh,
1: straight bourbon whiskey. It's aged 3 years, which I have tried this on my own as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried this on my own and it is a little bit bitey for it just neat uh uh-huh. But I but I have also before even this cocktail have had it in other cock like a mixed drink and I think it's really good that way. So I don't know uh why they why they didn't age it longer. Not sure. But um mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean it's it was pretty decent. I think it was around like a twenty five to twenty seven dollar bottle of bourbon. So oh, it's that's like a good price. You know, yeah, it was like in my budget, considering Uh, The lack of funds I'm receiving.
0: (laughs) Considering quarantine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Considering quarantine. Yeah.
0: So I used bullet bourbon, which is probably one of the more popular bourbons.
1: That's what I like first started drinking was that.
0: Yeah, I really like it with grapefruit. There is a time when I would drink just bullet bourbon with a grapefruit LaCroix. Yeah, so I think the, the grapefruit notes in bullet or it just pairs really well with grapefruit. Yeah. So that's also another really good bourbon for its price. I wanted to give a shout out to the mixology talk podcast. Um, we don't have time to go into all of their explanation of bourbon, but their sixth episode, which you can find on their website, abarabove.com, and then maybe click on their the link for mixology talk. It's not up on um, like where you would find podcasts and works. They have so many episodes. But it is still up on YouTube. It's their sixth episode and they go into like, what is whiskey? And they talk a lot about bourbon because in the craft cocktail world, bourbon is, I would say the most popular liquor right now.
1: It is pretty yummy.
0: Yeah. Shall we move on from the drink to the music? Sure. Okay. Oh, I wanted to mention we're drinking a Brown Derby because I don't know, it sounds like horses to me, like Kentucky Derby. And this music sounds like a horseback ride. Okay. It's maybe a loose connection, but it's better than some I've had.
1: <laughs> well, or is it's both... It's American.
0: It is American. Yeah, that works too. Yeah. Actually, so, so one of the many rules about bourbon, it does not have to be produced in Bourbon County, but it does need to be made in America. So yeah, that's something that's unique to this country.
1: And this particular string quartet. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so episode 18, 17 an episode last season. (laughs) I don't remember. Um, Also,
1: yay for a second season of Yay season two! Yeah.
0: Um,
1: No, I I won't do it.
0: (laughs) Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So anyway, I've already dived into Dvorak and his life a little bit. So I thought today we would just talk about the piece.
1: Sounds good. I'm also really glad that this is something that you can still do during quarantine. There's oh my gosh, so yes. There's so many things that, you, that are just at this point impossible. So like yeah. for, for sustainability.
0: Yeah, no kidding. So this piece was written...
1: 1893?
0: Yeah. While Dvorak was living in the United States. And Patty and I talked about this before we started recording, but this piece is based on Negro spirituals. And I was kind of wondering like, Is that a problematic term? And I'm starting to feel like it is, but I think if you think about this in the context of the time that it was written and maybe Negro is more of an all-encompassing term. Um, But anyway, I wanna say that I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory way, more of a historical way, but this is based on those spirituals. Um, And do you wanna share the interesting tidbit?
1: Thanks, Asia.
0: (laughs) Or I can do it.
1: No, it's fine, I'll do it. Um, basically though there there are this came up in a uh, actually recently in another conversation before i even knew we were going to talk about this quartet with an with another couple friends of mine virtually um they brought up brought it up to me that there's recordings uh, old recordings that are actually printed that this quartet used to be called the n-word quartet because that word back then was not or I guess it wasn't recognized as a derogatory word. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was actually published on records and um, it makes me really uncomfortable, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's that's also, I guess, uh, partly a historic point about the distribu- distribution of this piece. And I think it was not until the forties or fifties where that wouldn't be started to become even more of a heated derogatory word that mm-hmm. it started being replaced. Yeah,
0: it said until 1950. It was referred to as either the Negro quartet or the the N-word quartet. N-word quartet,
1: yeah, yeah. which is really unfortunate. I don't, I don't believe that Dvořák was any sort of uh, racist towards African American people, but
0: I don't believe he was either.
1: Yeah, I, there's no historic evidence of that. So, and yeah. if he was, if he was being inspired by their spirituals, then I would say that they, that he was, he was supportive of that, of that community. Yeah,
0: I think he held that music in very high reverence. There was a singer, um, Harry T. Burley, who knew Dvorak while he was a student at the National Conservatory. And he said, I sang our Negro songs for him very often. And before he wrote his own themes, he filled himself with the spirit of the old spirituals. And it says here on... The best source wikipedia that dvorak's appreciation of african-american music is well documented i think it was you know the utmost respect that he used it in his music
1: yeah and it's like it, once if you haven't listened to it before once you listen to the quartet it's he it's so beautiful that it's like there's no way that it was going to be yeah it's only from a positive perspective
0: yeah have you ever performed this piece
1: you know i've performed the first movement in a really crunch gig situation Mm -hmm. um we were there was a group of us uh in san francisco and we were sort of presenting breaking in this new uh stage at the i can't remember which museum but there was some museum in san francisco that they like had just built this like acoustically sound uh space and so we just quickly put together the first movement and i've coached the first movement i've auditioned on the second movement because there's quite a few cello solos in the second movement, but I've actually never performed the other, maybe, you know, sight read, but never performed it professionally, which is funny based with my quartet because Artaria has performed it so many times. (laughs) And we visited, I might've mentioned this in a previous podcast too, but with Stringwood, the summer festival that we teach at, um, which takes place in Lanesboro, Minnesota, Spillville, Iowa, which is where this composition was composed is just like, I think it's a couple hours at most away from where Lanesboro is. So I've been down to his original house and the original room of which this piece was initially performed in. Oh cool! Um, uh, and I think also there's there's the American string quintet, a viola quintet as well. Um, mm-hmm. That So both of those pieces were I composed and premiered in that space. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of been a really cool experience to be living in this part of the country and have that kind of musical connection and historic connection. And every time we go down there as well, we, we, we're always treated by the local community and they provide us food that they that is Czech. That, and, and so we are really grateful for their hospitality. So it, it sort of all ties into this historic Czech community that Dvorak really loved when he was there and really felt a part of.
0: So shall we dive into the music?
1: Yeah. So the first clip is, I had to, I had to cut it short because I was trying, There's a, there's a lot of content to cover, but it's basically theme one that's presented by the viola, which is an unusual orchestration to do. Normally a theme is presented by the first violin or maybe the cello if they really want to be extra extra spicy <laughs> but but yeah so so there's a handful of string quartets that begin their piece with a viola opening and this is one of them and it's quite iconic as well wasn't dvorak also a violist or he all he could double on viola or something like that i i think he wants wanted to feature this sort of very internally soulful Sound.
0: Yeah, and I think the viola, the sound of the viola lends itself better to the voices that probably sang these spirituals originally. Just like Maybe. rich and full and thick and lush. Shall we hear this viola opening?
1: Yes. And then the violin takes over. I just yeah, had to cut uh, it. Off.
0: It's so great, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's the first theme. Dvorak is either really beloved or criticized for oftentimes repeating motives. In some pieces, I mean, I would even argue that in some pieces he does this better than in other pieces. And I think The American is a really great example of how he does it well. So just listening to that opening clip, you can dissect certain motivic rhythmic things. And then once you listen to the entire string quartet, it appears in different forms uh, all over the place. One of them is the ba, 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 And so that is just like diced throughout the, the first movement. Diced, and I like that term. I, think, I'm, I guess I was talking about cooking, so you know. <laughs> the other mini motive in there that is really also scattered throughout is the ba da 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 you'll you'll also hear that throughout and especially in the development it just gets through the ringer in all kinds of keys with all different kinds of people taking over one other thing that especially when i've taught this quartet what's really tricky about this opening for the other instruments the cello has it the easiest but it's starting (laughs) it's starting this movement because it's not on the beat that you think it's going to be And I think he kind of makes it that way so that it kind of seeps into your consciousness. And that so he's kind of like presenting this Americana scenic sort of thing. And then the viola comes in as the main voice of it all.
0: Yeah, I can see that like the wide open spaces in Iowa and like all the cornfields and soybean fields
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: like the sun rising over the very Mm -hmm. vast horizon.
1: Yeah. So that's the other reason why I wanted to do the very opening was just kind of how... Maybe you wouldn't even notice when the piece started, or how what beat it starts on. It's just so uh, amorphic. Yeah, I I love that about it. So the next clip. The next clip is the second theme. So in a sonata form, which this this movement is, there's what's called the exposition, which is the beginning of the book. It tells you your main characters and kind of tells you how they relate with one another. So the main theme character one was theme one. So character two is the second theme and it usually is in the the fifth scale degree difference so what i was saying dominant and tonic but in this case it's in actually the major third so we're starting an f major so this this is actually an a major which is a bit unusual for this key and harmony that is what is quote-unquote tradition and it's presented by the first violin went past it oh it's fine i was like i wasn't sure because i want i was debating if i should cut it there you know what i mean it's like Mm -hmm. but you just want to keep listening right it's so beautiful
0: it is so beautiful it's such a longing melody
1: i just imagine him sitting on his porch in like when when the sun has already set but it's still light out and he's just sitting there and he's like has a violin in hand and is just fooling around and just like came up Mm. with that melody but there's just this again this openness this vastness vulnerability Part of that melody to me that is just so relatable.
0: Oh, it's truly such beautiful music, and I love the idea of him, or like really anyone, just like sitting on their porch watching the sun go down and, and the plans- fireflies
1: coming up. I forgot about the fireflies; they're so awesome. Sorry, <laughs> we don't. We, it, it, I grew up in Southern California, so we don't really have fireflies. But the Midwest and, you know, like, I remember the first time I saw a firefly, I thought I was going crazy. I, like, thought I had started getting visions. Like, no joke. I was like, oh, my God, am I, like, am I going to faint? Like, that's, that's, like, what I thought. I mean, it's not amazing. It's funny. I, like, had to tell myself. (laughs) Anyway. The other thing I also like about that, or what I love about not just the melody, but the harmony that he supports underneath the melody, there's certain chords that are not quite, they're they're very sort of in some ways perfect, but then he'll add in the viola maybe in a ninth interval or something that adds just a little bit of paprika to it. <laughs> it is you know, I don't know if just
0: he, really nicely.
1: Yeah, but the way that it's the chords are spread as well between the in, the accompaniment instruments mm-hmm. also doesn't make it sound very closed. It's still spread apart enough that mm-hmm. makes it feel more again sort of like the countryside or something along those lines.
0: Yeah I think my favorite string quartets they're this one and then the other episode you were on Death and the Maiden those are probably my top two favorite string quartets. They sound like more than four people playing and I think that's Mm -hmm. what I really like about them. It's like four people can create this amazing sound.
1: It was I think these two pieces in my high in high school for me Yeah really caught my attention and wanted me to, pl- I wanted to like dive into string quartet playing.
0: We have one more clip from the first movement. Would you like to hear it first
1: or talk about it first? I should probably explain. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, because it's, it's, un, it's theor- theoretically also very unusual. I kind of briefly described the exposition of the sonata form.
0: Oh, the- I wanted to interject. This is something that just occurred to me that exposition and expose are related words. Like you're exposing what you're about to hear. And I was kind of yeah. like, oh,
1: I've never. Or, yeah, expose, or yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'd actually yeah. never, thank you. I didn't, I guess I never really put those dots together myself.
0: Hashtag quarantine thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, as you were saying.
1: So once once the com- we kind of conclude the exposition, what follows is the development. And the development's intent is to develop the ideas from the expositions. So usually uh, a composer will truncate a melody to a like a really small motive, as what I was describing earlier, let's say da, da 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 bum ba da da and take that motive and kind of see how much mileage they can get out of that in what keys, in what you know, instrumentation, yada yada yada. A really
0: good example of that is in Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which I think was the third episode in this podcast. Beethoven takes da da da, da Da, 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 and then plays around with it for an entire like five minute long movement.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's like where composers find the most fun composing. I, I believe it, least, yeah. Yeah, in, in a sonata form because it's like, oh, what can I do now? Oh, look at me, I can do this. How am I going to transition from this to that? But at some level, they have to sober up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> kind of <laughs> like we'll need to, to later tonight. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, and and get back to, we got to get ready to go home. So typically speaking a composer will go back to what is called the dominant pedal. So they'll base a very ch- big chunk of the development in the harmony of the dominant. So w- in in F major that would that would have been C, but he doesn't quite do this here. He actually instead of using sort of that harmony to signal to us subconsciously to go home, he actually throws in some people call it a fugato. I think it's more of a canon, but basically it's it's he actually throws in this new material that we've never heard before so that's why i wanted to specifically point this clip out was to bring out this particular unusual compositional thing to do in us in a string uh, a sonata form <laughs> we just stopped, the viola was about to just play the main melody one more time to indicate what is next called the recapitulation, or recap for short, so again, sort of coming back to the themes that we already knew, but in a little bit of a variation way. I guess I should have probably said what was kind of cool about this transition was not just the fact that we were we were in F minor, which is the parallel minor, but the way that we stepped back into F major was from uh, minor six. So a German six chord, basically. It's basically a half step to the dominant. So it kind of already signals a return home. You, you can go back and listen. It, um, or it might be too nerdy, but I, I love that stuff. So,
0: So that's the first movement. The first movement of this quartet is actually the longest. It's about 10 minutes long. Let's hear the opening of the second movement. so beautifully done
1: this was such a difficult movement to find clips for i believe it (laughs) because obviously this this movement just plays itself like it it, it, as it as it begins in the accompaniment it just keeps rolling it's the same feeling that i had about the second theme of the first movement where it's like sort of this like one of my friends likes to say lost kitten in the wilderness sort of feeling cute I know. Whenever she, like, now it's like she totally shattered that glass for me. It was, yeah, it's just the, like,
0: (sighs) (laughs) I also wanted to point out, I, you can feel free to disagree with me, but I think this quartet has just such a captivating performance. I really, I really like how they sound and how they work together. This is the, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Scampa Quartet. It's a Nordic Word that might have like a weird accent over the a, so it might be something different. Scampa. Yeah, that's already better.
1: Yeah, so that's that's so this this movement I think is very much based in a spiritual right.
0: Oh, totally, it has to be.
1: So it, it's again hard to kind of truncate this movement. So I kind of did try to do as many sort of variations on the main theme as possible. So the next clip is the cello and viol the violin do- has a do- they, we. We do it together.
0: I just love when it sounds like a conversation and when it's pulled off well in an ensemble and it really sounds like two people speaking. And I think that's one of the great things about this part is you can really hear the human side of things in the violin and the cello.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe I'm a more visual person too. I don't know why it never occurred to me before. Maybe maybe I'm getting influenced by the Brown Derby. But I, I started having this image of like the frogs in the background just like kind of being the second violin and viola line of kind of creating the atmosphere of like- Wait, what frogs? Well, like, you know, when you're in like Americana in the country, near mm-hmm. a lake, frogs that are like kind of croaking- Oh, gotcha, life, okay. But they yeah. kind of create like a little bit of a din of like- <laughs> Well, not, Yeah, but but I mean, it's it's a more <laughs> collective sound, so it's a little bit more, anyway.
0: Yeah. I, I get what you're saying now
1: yeah i just i just started getting this like image in my head of like you know there's this like full moon out and there's these two people that are trying you know trying to oh. be lovers and they're they have the they have the frogs in the, anyway okay i'm done
0: no i like that so we just took a little mid quartet break to refresh our drinks and guess what i did exactly what i told you not to do what did you do i put all the ice in the tin and then without even thinking about it, I poured all of the ingredients into oh. the part
1: with the ice. What I was going to say is like, when you, if you are doing my technique and heating up honey, you have to be very careful. Don't heat it up for long. The container will expand because you're heating up the contents inside. So it, <laughs> it, it can be explosive honey is my it point. It can
0: be. Was yes. it?
1: Yeah. Long story short. It was a bit explosive. Yes. Cheers.
0: Cheers. <laughs> Clink the third movement is the scherzo movement and it's the shortest of the quartet um, which is typical of a scherzo movement they're usually shorter but they're also usually like a little bit tongue-in-cheek or sarcastic but this one starts like this
1: It's so cute. I think of it like the village people are together, like the the ones that sing YMCA. No, I mean mean nothing against them.
0: Nothing against. I was
1: thinking. I was thinking about all the all the Czech community people in the town square just together for a like I don't know. I see, some festival or something
0: like a town dance, kind of like we were just doing.
1: Yeah. Again, with all all the
0: elbow motions. Yes. However, a little bit later, you do get the drama that you expect from a scherzo. It just, what a contrast. Yeah. And this is artfully woven back into the da I really love that part.
1: I was going to ask, did you, when I was doing some research on this quartet again, there was a bit about how Dvorak thought this was, he was putting in the bird chirp in this movement. Maybe, I can't remember, it might be that, I think it was in the first part of the, of the movement, not not the. Oh, here it is. Dvorak quoted in the third movement, measures twenty one to twenty four. If you have the music, a bird that he, a bird that he believed was a scarlet, tanager. Oh my God, tanager. I can't pronounce birds. Could be, an American songbird. The song appears as a high interrupting strain in the first violin part. Dvorak was annoyed by this bird's insistent chattering. <laughs> transcribed its song in his notebook. American ornithologist Ted Floyd showed in 2016 that the bird quoted by Dvorak likely was not a scarlet Taniger. Instead, the bird was primarily, was probably a red-eyed uh, Vireo, another American songbird. Hmm. So that's kind of a cool another, if that's, you know, if that's the case, that's also kind of a really cool tie into Americana. It's not just about the, the culture and the people, that it's also about the, uh, the the flora and the, the fauna thing. yes those that have also migrated here
0: as a violinist though i take offense to the fact that he transcribed it for the violin because he was annoyed by this bird like come on man
1: i mean i guess he could have written it for the cello but let's i mean
0: i there one instrument is more annoying than the other
1: i'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying so i guess look out for that in the third movement
0: yeah And then that theme comes back actually two more times. It comes back after you hear that, a little bit of drama. Um, It gets all happy again. The people are maybe back in the town square, dancing with their elbows and their knees up. And then you get a little taste of drama and then it ends with that first happy theme. I picked out another really short excerpt from this movement because I thought it was an interesting quote from the first movement.
1: nice totally i love a throwback <laughs> i love a don't throwback. don't you love i love i love yeah oh yeah and it's Not just, just that, the music but in comedy and yeah it's, nice.
0: it's just like it's just that short little bit it's just like hey remember this yeah that happened <laughs> <laughs> and then what i wrote in my notes is the piece ends with a sunset so you have that happy do 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 and it kind of like slowly dies out like those last few people at the bar dancing or yeah no i see it gone down and everyone's gone home to uh probably do more farm chores and then go to bed and then wake up and do more. start rinse and repeat yeah (laughs) yeah the end is the beginning is the end is the beginning is you get it so that's the third movement the fourth movement is the one that to me really sounds like horses galloping. And as a kid, I really liked horses. I mean, I feel like every little girl does. I think that's part of why I was so drawn to this piece is because it just sounded like horses galloping. So
1: can I present another image as well? Yeah. Okay. I've also seen it or heard it as also a train. Hmm. So whether whichever one, I mean, I totally see the horse thing too. So I'm just... This is what's so great about music is that we can have different images that come to our mind.
0: Yeah. So I'll play the beginning of the fourth movement and listeners, you can message us on Facebook and Instagram at Pormia Mozart and say, you heard a train or you heard a horse or you heard both. So let's see what you hear. It's so peppy. It's so happy. I can totally see it being a steam train coming in and like there's someone on it that you're so excited to see or like you're on it and you're so excited to be coming back home.
1: I think that's a big theme for Dvorak with like America. When, when he was living in America is this nostalgic quality for his, for his homeland.
0: Yeah. I, do you know off the top of your head if he finished his days here in America? slash did he die here you know I, i
1: let me just double check why don't you play the other clip and i'll find that out okay sounds good
0: It there too because what comes next is so much fun.
1: Oh, uh, I know, I
0: know. No, this is the last clip.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: Uh, I promise you what I just sang is not as good as hearing it done by a string quartet. <laughs> I should add, though, while you're still looking for if Dvorak well, died, the
1: answer is my instinct was incorrect. Oh, Any- there, the end of his life was in the Czech Republic.
0: Oh, okay. So he went back to his homeland and croaked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't make deaths, death's jokes about death. So I I love this movement so much. I had actually, when I competed in the Miss America organization at Miss Minnesota, at one point I had wanted to make the fourth movement my talent piece. I tried to play it, but I was not very good in college <laughs> And so playing an F major was really hard. So it just like it didn't sound good when I played it. But I think it would have been a fun thing to bring to a pageant audience.
1: No, I love this particular movement for me is like not only just rhythmically, you know, sort of there's always a lot of energy behind it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's there's a lot of harmonic twists and turns that are less expected in in a in a final movement i suppose so i would say look forward to listening to those because they're fun they, they take you by surprise you're like oh wait we're going here now and yeah
0: yeah i'm definitely going to look up the scampa quartet and see if i can find i mean i guess i could listen on the licensing website yeah. that i use the apm music website but yeah i'm definitely going to look look up a full recording of them playing this yeah because i really liked it That's all I have about Dvorak and this piece for today, at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I hope we gave you listeners like a really, you know, kind of an intro slash like maybe some visual guides as to how to approach listening to this piece.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can make yourself a brown derby, apparently you can do it however you would like to.
1: (laughs) Break all the rules. It's fine. As long as you enjoy the drink.
0: Yes, that is the most important thing, that you enjoy the drink and you enjoy the music. Mm-hmm. Or if there's another drink that you'd like to pair with this, I mean, let me know. Send me pictures. I would as love long to see as there's bourbon
1: drinks. in it too, right? Like, because to yeah. be stay with the American vibe. But
0: For sure. Yeah. Um, just a total side note. You know how there's um, sommeliers who are wine experts and cicerones who are beer experts? Mm -hmm. I've been saying this for a long time. I really think that eventually there's going to be some sort of certification like that for whiskey because whiskeys are starting to come from all over the world. I mean, there's bourbon, there's rye, there's Irish whiskey, there's Canadian whiskey, Japanese uh, Japanese whiskey, there's scotch, which actually could probably be a whole thing on its own. But like, why isn't there a certification for that yet? Maybe I should start it except I don't know enough.
1: I mean, (laughs) that's where you start, though.
0: (laughs) Just learn everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, that could potentially be a good start to a new career (laughs) in quarantine. (laughs) I, I kid. I kid. I kid. Music is still a worthy career.
0: Yes. Oh, so speaking of being a musician in quarantine, there was a video that you posted of yourself playing a quartet on the cello with yourself on the acapella app and that kind of encouraged me to make some duets uh, duet videos of myself playing Mm -hmm. And, and i've been seeing a lot of musicians do that and a lot of artists creating in new ways and you know it's invigorating but i'm kind of getting to a point where it's a little exhausting so i was wondering do you feel like there's kind of this pressure to produce content
1: yes and no it's a really weird time I you know it's funny because I I have done those videos for myself before all of this happened.
0: Oh, I didn't know uh, that.
1: Yeah, it, it, because most of the content were my own cello quartet arrangements of pop songs, and I I maybe didn't always post them in the most uh, visible way or something like that. But they're out there. They're on my website. Anyway, long story short, though, um, I do there especially when when all of our concerts started to get canceled all and and everyone just started seeing their open calendar i think collectively all musicians were like oh my god we need to you know let's we need to we need to get our voices out there we we feel this grief of of our career kind of just dropping out from underneath ourselves and 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 it's also been really inspiring to watch i don't know if did you happen to see the Chaconne that uh, Augustine. Yes.
0: Yeah. And oh, like, that really was fishy. So, like, yes,
1: everyone was, that was so inspiring, to, especially for me. Cause they're like the top, top, top.
0: Yeah. So what I Patty's need, talking about yeah. is, um, how do you say his last name? Hadley? Ha- uh, Hadley. Um, yeah. Augustine Hadley is this amazing violinist who's, he's actually been making a lot of videos about technique and teaching. And I need to go back and watch a bunch of them because having someone like him share his insight is just so invaluable. But I think it was Julia Fisher approached him with the idea of the Bach Chaconne, which I'd love to do an episode about the Chaconne. It's an unaccompanied violin piece that has like, is it 16 variations on the theme?
1: I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It's like, (laughs) it's such a great piece. Like I wish, well, I do have a Chilla Quartet arrangement of it. But that's not that's not the real thing you know so there's some really amazing stuff that's happening because we're you know from from all these great artists now that we're quarantined but at the same time like yeah there is this pressure sort of on another like i have employers that are like which in a way it's great because they're paying me but they're like hey we'll pay you you know every every video that you can produce but you know, it's not—it's not like a huge stipend, but it's just like you know, it's nice. But it's, it's like income, okay, yeah. well, that means I have to like get the motivation to, and and I think it's it's not so much the pressure is not so much about producing as it is about like what is your standard, like because recording yourself is such a brutal task. Mm-hmm. You have to really face yourself and you have to face all the pros, but mainly all the cons, and that's where sometimes like. I actually have a video kind of ready to post, but I don't have the guts yet to do it because I think I can do it better. But when I've shown it to a few people, they're like, "You, this is fine, but I'm still like, my, my standard is so much higher than, you know, but but that's just, you know what I mean? It's like, because it's, I, I just don't want to present myself in the worst light and I want to be able to do something better,
0: you know? I totally feel that. I've been going through on Facebook Live, one of the Kreutzer Etudes, which is a big standard for violinists. So I've been educating the violinists that are in community orchestras that I I'm a leader in, um, and then doing a duet video each week. And I'm actually already behind, but it does kind of suck because I'm like I can play this better, but which take, like which take shows the best me? And it, you, know, it's amazing. It can take an hour and a half to get a good. Four-minute video.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess to answer your your overall question, it's I I kind of decided to just do it on my own terms, and mm-hmm. when I feel inspired. Because I think at this point we don't want to. I don't want to produce anything that I'm not happy or inspired by, and I don't think anyone wants to hear that. There's so much content out there, and I'm only, I'm grateful for people who do listen to what I do and produce, um, mm-hmm. and. And I think that that's that's just the level of which we have to be at at this point. For
0: sure. So to end, you can choose an impactful question or a funny question.
1: I'll go with impactful.
0: What is your best quarantine advice?
1: It's okay if you just want to sit down and just be a quote unquote couch potato. There's many days ahead of us and it's okay if you do it for as long as you want. But for me, I reached my limit of couch potato-ness and I sat down and I wrote myself a giant general to-do list of what I want to accomplish at some point. And it's not something that you just immediately check off. It's a list that I look at and I'm like, I want to do two of those items today and I'm Hmm. going to do those items maybe in a few days, but I want to do at least those things today. Yeah, for me, I guess I just wanna, I I always wanna make sure that I feel like I'm doing something productive. So today mine was, which is a bit late, but it was, I I really wanted to tackle my taxes today. And so I sat, I like got down, I sat down and I'm like, and I had some questions and then I kind of had to stop because my brain just started really getting like, my my taxes are really complicated. So i was just like, oh, Mm -hmm. so. Um, but so that was like, for me, I like was, I'm able to go, go to sleep and say, I did something. Um, it's sometimes for me, it's also like, so I, I have a kayak I have an inflatable kayak and I'm able to go to a lake and just be on, be on a kayak in the middle of a lake with, you know, maybe one friend around, but she's six like six feet away, <laughs> definitely six feet away. <laughs> so it's like, you know, there's times when, or like I have a bike. Like I I should go, you know, I haven't done this yet, but I like I should go biking. I should, you know, in that sort of things like that is like just to make sure that it's okay that you're not productive a hundred percent of the day, Mm -hmm. and to remind yourself that it's okay to not be that, and that actually what you're doing, which is what our governor was so great about saying, is that actually by you not being productive, is actually saving lives or quote unquote not being productive during the day, as many of especially musicians are. And the other thing I suppose is just like, is to find that thing that inspires you to, 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 to think and to be uh, introspective and, you know, just feel like that there's something to live for, to find that, that meaning. And, and, and I think for all of us, that is always going to be music, which is why poor Mio Mozart is incredibly important at this time in our, in our history.
0: Oh, well, thank you.
1: And there's so many activities that you can do at mm-hmm. home to keep yourself feeling that there's there's something to create in in this world. Like listening
0: to all of poor me Mozart. Yes, <laughs> and other podcasts too. If this isn't your bag of beans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know i think we need to stop okay we need to at least stop recording okay well so, uh thank, thank you patty you for inviting again me
1: on, yes. on your podcast again i love yeah being of course here.
0: yeah it's it's so great to have you here cheers cheers
1: Clink. Clink. <laughs> <laughs> hi sushi all right sushi